0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the From the Booth Podcast. I'm Evan Ayshin, he's Cody Clark. Mid-September is upon us, that means it's football season, and because of COVID-19, we're in the thick of the NBA playoffs, and the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics are in the Eastern Conference Finals. Miami has a 2-0 lead on the Boston Celtics, and on the western side of the bracket... Everybody thought we were going to get the Battle of L.A., but instead the Denver Nuggets came back from their second 3-1 lead of the playoffs to face the Los Angeles Lakers. Cody,
1: can we get a Heat Nuggets final? Can it happen? Uh, We can get that. Uh, I do think Miami ultimately comes out of the Eastern Conference, but I think the Lakers are just going to be a little too much for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, I think we saw the other night the Lakers able to come away with a uh, with a 12 point win uh, and really that score line not really indicative of the way that the Lakers uh, controlled much of that game through the second and third quarter so uh, I think we can get it uh, we've really seen some amazing basketball from the Nuggets from Jamal Murray from Nikola Jokic uh, but I, I do think it will be the Lakers edging out the Nuggets uh, in the West and then, uh, they'll face the, uh, Miami heat out of the East, but we'll see down 2-0 are the Celtics, but you know, they, as we've seen many times in this playoffs and you just alluded to with the nuggets, uh, you are not out until you get beat that fourth time. And so we'll, uh, we'll see what happens, but I, I think Miami and Boston are going to have a, a really good close to their series Uh, And we'll see if the the Nuggets can steal a couple from the Lakers and try to push them as well. As of right now, we are taping this on Saturday night, the 19th
0: of September. Uh, As of right now, mid third quarter, the Boston Celtics have the lead over the Miami Heat. Uh, When I was watching that game one between the Nuggets and Lakers, the Nuggets just looked like a team that they just looked out of gas. They looked like a team that have played two seven game series through the playoffs. I don't know if you got the same sense, but they just looked like a team that was, they they just looked out of gas. Like they're just tired.
1: Yeah. And they've had a couple of really, really grueling series, uh, as you just alluded to, uh, you know, against the jazz in the opening round, then taking down the Clippers who many thought would uh, make it through there and and get to face the Lakers in the battle of LA, uh, which turned out to be in the bubble uh, this year or would turn out to be in the bubble this year. But Denver had other plans, and yeah, that you know it's came out a, a little bit flat, uh, particularly in the second and third quarter. They had a nice first quarter; actually, had a lead after one for the Lakers uh, over the Lakers, I should say. But that second and third quarter, the Lakers kind of dominated and, and built uh, built a lead that they were able to hold on to late in the contest. And Denver kind of closed it down to, to like we said, closer than it closer than it looked. Uh, or closer than, you know, when you just look at the box score at a glance, but we'll see what happens, man. I, the Lakers are playing well. Um, Denver is going to have to turn it around and it looks like they're going to have to do the same thing uh, that they did in the opening two series as battle back. They're down one game to nothing. And as you mentioned, you know, that, that, uh, that grueling schedule, perhaps starting to catch up with them uh, only through one game. So we'll see what the rest of the series holds, but that, very well could come to fruition because they have played a couple of grueling series uh, against the Jazz and against the Clippers to advance uh, to the Western Conference Finals, where they trail the Lakers by a game.
0: Well, we'll have to we'll have to keep monitoring that as the series progresses, and then we'll break down the NBA Finals once we get there. But Cody, the big story of the week is before the college football season officially started, the Big Ten and Pac-12 canceled their seasons and they're going to try and play again in the spring or 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 at least pushed up to the spring and as of their recent vote this week the big 10 has uncanceled their fall football season and they will begin (laughs) play of an eight game conference only schedule starting october 24th and looking at the schedule nebraska versus the big 10 front office might be the feud of the year
1: (laughs) yeah no doubt about it it's been an interesting follow I when it when it first all broke, I was just so I was so surprised because, you know, a a lot of the reason that a lot of these schools aren't playing football right now, you know, whether it's Division one, whether it's Division two, trickling down Division three, NAI, whatever it is, the reason a lot of these schools are not playing football right now is that, you know, one of the major things they can't really afford the testing protocols to keep the student athletes, coaches, uh, you know, athletic training staffs, coaching staffs, can't really afford to do the amount of testing that's needed to provide that safe environment for student athletes. And that's a major sticking point in all of this. And so if you have a school that can afford to do some of those measures, can afford to test at that level, you're seeing them playing in terms of the ACC, in terms of the SEC when it kicks off. And so, you know, we've seen, you know, the Austin Peas and Central Arkansas of the world uh, to kick off the season and, you know, what has transpired out of that and the way that they've been uh, been able to handle it really, really well. You know, the Big Ten, Nebraska, all those schools, they have those resources. So I was just kind of confused. Perhaps, you know, there were some... It was a little political there for sure, but you know I don't know. I was surprised when it uh, when they had came out and said you know most of the schools were, were not going to play. Um, but you mentioned it, Nebraska really uh, digging their heels in and uh, digging its heels in and, and wanting to play football. And you know the end result ultimately is a what feels like a weird start, very odd uh, beginning to a Big Ten football slate.
0: Now, the Big Ten isn't going to start playing until the week before Halloween, and this bizarro college football season is how we have results like Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, in the top twenty. This is the first time that they've been ranked since nineteen forty-three, and they pulled off that upset over Iowa State and had to, had that comeback win against Georgia against Georgia State earlier today. Like we knew going in. That this wasn't going to be a normal college football season, even if everybody started on time. And I think that since we've been watching the NBA without fans for so long, that we're kind of just used to empty arena environments and empty stadium environments. Uh, Waldorf, for the local team where I'm at, they're playing football. They haven't. They they don't have their home game, their home opener, until twenty six. But they are having a football season and it sounds like they're going to have spectators, possibly at a limited capacity, but they're going to have spectators. Down where you are at Delta State, are you playing football? And if you are playing, are people allowed to attend?
1: No, our conference is not playing football. It's going to, uh, at this point right now, they're looking at a fall schedule, a fall slate. So that's kind of where we're at. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been a tough transition cuz you know football here in the south is uh, a big big thing and so you know not getting to to play that slate has has not been fun but it is what it is and that's the the decision that was reached and that's kind of where we go from there but you mentioned you know some of the just a lot of the different the odd different things to come out of the start of this college football season you know you talked about Louisiana uh, 19th in the country they now start the year two and0 after the overtime win against Georgia State uh, you have you had a weird Oklahoma State Tulsa game that was 16 to seven and you know Oklahoma State that big 12 offense used to seeing them really really explode for you know 35 to 50 56 points a game and Oklahoma State and Tulsa Tulsa led that game through a large portion of it, seven to three, through the end of three quarters and into the fourth. Uh, then you had South Florida get blown out by Notre Dame. Uh, you had Georgia Tech get blasted by UCF. You had uh, you had Clemson take care of business. You know, it's just, it, it's been weird. It's been odd. It's been different. Uh, and and you, just some of the results that we've seen, some of the different things that have happened, uh, you just kind of look at it and go, you know, All these oddities, all of these like, wow, I can't believe that happened or I can't believe that team won or lost. You can chalk a lot of that up to, you know, all of the circumstances surrounding the pandemic because it's we've just seen so much uncertainty and and we continue to see it with the Charlotte and North Carolina uh, football game that got canceled. It's just, you know, it's one of those things where you just kind of – Everyone's got their head on a swivel looking over here, looking over there, you know, seeing what's happening. And we're, we're getting some interesting results uh, as a result of it.
0: The Florida State head coach, Mike Norvell, he tested positive for COVID. So we don't know what that means for the Florida State season or the Florida State team. And to underscore the weirdness of this college football season, it took a global pandemic for Notre Dame to join a conference. <laughs> they're, they're part of the ACC for one year. And it sounds like if things go back to normal in 2021, they're just going to go back to being independent. So we finally have the answer to the question of what's it going to take to get Notre Dame to join a conference, apparently a global pandemic.
1: Yeah. I, I think they should just go into the, uh, I think they should be in the ACC. I've never understood why they're not. Uh, they, they, they beat up on South Florida, Ian book and company took care of business. But yeah, that's funny. It took um uh, took a pandemic for the the fighting irish to, to join a conference but they're in the uh, ACC playing this year and they got off to a uh, 2-0 start with a big big win over uh South Florida also beat Duke in the opener so they'll uh, they'll be at Wake Forest then they'll be uh then they'll get a week off then they'll have FSU and Louisville uh Pittsburgh as well so a couple of ranked contests coming up for uh For Notre Dame but yeah it's been uh, who would have thought that's what it would take to uh, get Notre Dame in any conference but uh, much less the ACC
0: Halloween night is going to be a big game for college football because you've got LSU at Auburn and Ohio State and Penn State on the same day it's going to be a big week it's going to be a big Saturday on Halloween
1: yeah absolutely that's going to be a big one I'm I'm excited for uh, I'm excited for that slate yeah I'm uh,
0: probably going to have to get the handful of trick-or-treaters if we still do that in town in between watching all the games the nfl season kicked off last thursday and then it the nfl season proper started on sunday cody it was a bad week to be a kicker yes it was here are some stats for you league-wide kickers hit just 71.6 percent of their field goals which is the lowest percentage on opening weekend since 1998 And the Tennessee Titans became the first team to fail on more than three field goal attempts in a game since 1987. One kicker has already lost his job, Austin Seibert, for the Cleveland Browns, who then ironically was immediately claimed off waivers by the Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) Um, It's – we knew that the pandemic was going to throw some things into flux, and Robbie Gold even predicted that – kickers were going to look sluggish and we're going to need some time to get their legs under them. But man, I didn't think it was going to be that sluggish to start the season.
1: Do you think it's, do you think it's that big of a deal? Not having fans for these kickers?
0: No, I think it's more of a routine and timing thing. And when your entire off season is through the computer and you're not with your long snapper and the holder, getting the hold down and everything, Because kicking is – football is a mental game, but kicking is absolutely the most – I don't know if this is a word – the most mentally of football (laughs) positions. Because if you have one bad week as a kicker, they'll just cut you. And you might never get another shot again. And, yeah, it was just a bad week for kickers, especially Steven Gostowski. Uh, He ended up winning the game for the Titans at the end – so he kind of redeemed himself, but <laughs> n- not a good week. Not a good week for kickers. And also, surprising stat in the NFC East: when the dust settled after Week One, the Washington Football Team—they're all by themselves in first place of the NFC East. Who would have thought?
1: Just, just like we drew it up in our uh, preseason projections. Yeah, absolutely
0: interesting stat about the uh, nfc east the new york giants losing to the pittsburgh steelers on monday night since the start of the 2017 season they have the worst overall record in the nfl at 12 and 37 and that accounts for the 0 16 2017 cleveland browns oh they, wow they, yeah they've been the worst team in the nfl over the last three years what stood out to you uh the most over week one
1: uh, let's see. I think that for me at the top of the list was the way that Arizona played against San Francisco, uh, getting that 24 20 victory over the 49ers. I thought was really, really, really impressive. Kyler Murray looked fantastic. Uh, and so I, I have to start there because you have, you know, with the Cardinals, We talked about them, you know, earlier on uh, in our, you know, NFL preview and whatnot. And, you know, as a team that as a team that's that could surprise some folks that added DeAndre Hopkins via trade, signed him uh, to the big extension, which hats off to him. He had negotiated himself, which is fantastic. Uh, But, you know, getting a big, big victory over the 49ers in week one, you know, I think this year for Arizona, we see the, you know, we see how dynamic the offense is. Kyler Murray, uh, you know, 200 and 225 plus yards had a touchdown. Also the leading rusher, uh, almost hundred yards and a touchdown as well on the ground. We see how dynamic he is. And Deandre Hopkins had, uh, was targeted 16 times, had 14 catches for 151 yards. Uh, averaging 10.8 per so a big time day for DeAndre Hopkins you know he's going to be a guy that takes the pressure off of guys like Kenyon Drake out of the backfield Larry Fitzgerald uh, Christian Kirk those guys the Cardinals were a surprise because you know I, we, I thought that their their defense would be decent uh, you know, you, you figured that Kyla Murray would, would take a step here in his second year. But when you look at the end of week one, for them to get that win uh, and have a chance here against Washington, who has struggled a little bit defensively uh, the past couple of years with Kyla Murray and now you add Hopkins to that mix, Cardinals have a chance to jump out to a 2-0 and start to the year. And I don't know if any of us would have seen that coming. You know, we thought they were going to be pretty – pretty solid. They'd be in the mix. You know, maybe that six, seven win mark would be kind of where they might top out, but that offense looked pretty solid after just one game. Uh, they will continue to get more, you know, more in a rhythm uh, as, as Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins really, you know, really get the chance to work on the field together. I was very, very, uh, very, very surprised by the Cardinals getting that win in game one And look, they have Washington, the Lions, and the Panthers, and then the Jets to open up the season Uh, over the first five weeks. They got the 49ers. You'd look at that first five-game stretch, and you'd say the 49ers was easily the toughest game. They won that one. They did it on the road uh, at the 49ers. Now, granted, the road environments are not what they have been in the past, and we recognize that because of the pandemic, but... Over your first five weeks, you grab a win in the game that people most likely would have predicted you would lose. You've got to like where you're at if you're Arizona, sitting 1-0 and after week one with a win against the 49ers and some winnable games coming up.
0: Especially a game where, yes, the Cardinals lost to the 49ers twice last year, but if you watched those games they made san francisco work for those two wins especially that thursday night halloween game like go back and rewatch those 2019 cardinals versus 49ers games they gave Ari- arizona gave san francisco probably the hardest time any team gave them outside of the super bowl all season it's it's that the Arizona Cardinals are clearly a team on the rise. We just don't, we just thought maybe that rise is going to come in 2021, but if they play like they did the rest of the year, like they played in week one, we could be looking at them like, Oh, it's mid December and they're fighting for the seven seed. And I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. The surprise for me, week one, not really a surprise is whatever concerns you had about, there being a letdown in Baltimore about Lamar Jackson losing the playoff <laughs> game. Uh, put those to bed right now. 38-6 to over the Cleveland Browns. Mark Andrews, the tight end, got involved quite regularly. And we are a long way. Lamar Jackson has come a long way from last year's not-bad-for-a-running-back comment to... He is the most accurate deep ball passer of week one. He threw 10 passes that traveled 15 or more yards in the air. He completed nine of them, according to Pro Football Focus. Cody, we have that three-headed monster in the AFC of Jackson, Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. This is going to be a great league to watch for the next Few years because fourteen of the thirty-two starters were twenty-seven years old or younger. There is a youth movement at quarterback, and it is especially pronounced in the AFC.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When you look at those three you mentioned, when you talk Baltimore, you talk Kansas City, and you talk Houston. But then you know, as we mentioned, you just look around the rest of the league. We just talked about one, Kyler Murray. Uh, we, you know, you you saw Gardner Minshew lead the Jaguars to a win over the Colts in week one. Uh, you, you, you saw that, you know, Daniel Jones, despite, uh, you know, facing a very, very tough defense, you saw some promise out of him. You've got drew Locke in Denver. Yeah. When you, you know, you mentioned it, but you know, the, it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch these guys, you know, Josh Allen in Buffalo, the way he can uh, do it with his arm and his legs There are a lot of fun guys to watch in this league. There are a lot of guys that you pointed out that we are going to be watching leading their teams for years to come. And when you talk about, you know, the Josh Allen, Houston uh, with Watson, Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, when you look at kind of probably your four best teams in the AFC all have those young quarterbacks. Yeah, they have been very, very fun to watch, and they are definitely going to continue uh, to do that. Those guys have been playing at a very, very high level.
0: And we haven't even gotten to Joe Burrow, who, yes, the Bengals are 0 and 2, but it's not because Joe Burrow has looked deer in the headlights. Welcome to the NFL, rookie. He has played really well despite, you know, he's got his offensive line isn't where it should be right now. He's got. Solid weapons outside of A.J. Green and Mixon. He actually set on Thursday night the rookie record for most completions in a game with 37 and almost came back to beat Cleveland. So we haven't even really gotten into Joe Burrow, who's played really well over the last two weeks. Meanwhile, the other two AFC quarterbacks taken in the top 10, along with Burrow, Justin Herbert and Tua Tagovailoa, they have not seen any action Cody, I'll ask you who sees the field first between Herbert and Tua.
1: Mm, that's a good question. I would say Tua, uh, if I had to guess, if I was going off, you know, what I thought, I think Tua would see the field first. I think Miami, uh, is in, is in a little better situation for Tua to see the field first. I think I'm a big Justin Herbert fan. You know that we talked about it when, when he was coming out of the, uh, coming out of Oregon and, and entered his name into the uh, NFL draft. I think we're going to see really, really good things out of Herbert. But I do think uh, Tua was perhaps more more ready to go here in the next, uh, you know, over the course of his first season. Uh, I think Herbert would benefit from sitting this year behind Tyrod Taylor. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out. But I, uh, if you put me on the spot, I would say Tua uh would play before Herbert. That's just kind of my my gut reaction at this point. That seems to be the most likely of answers. I'm
0: going to predict that we're going to see Tua play by week 6, which is October 18th in Denver. So probably by week 6, mid-October, we'll we'll see we'll see Tua play.
1: Well, and and you know, I'm all for that because I, I think you know there's you've got the injury questions, but there's there's a lot of other things swirling around uh, Tua Tonga Vailoa and will he be able to be successful for the Miami Dolphins? I really, really, really liked what I saw in college from uh, from Tua, and, and I think with some of the weapons that Miami has, uh, have a couple of young receivers out wide that you know. You, you turn him loose back there. Uh, Miami, I think, will be uh, will be in business for the uh, for the coming years with him under the uh, under center.
0: The Miami Dolphins lost last week, 21 to 11, to New England. This week, they get the Buffalo Bills, who are 1 and 0, coming off their win over division rival the New York Jets. Let's look at the Week Two slate. Week Two already started on Thursday in the Battle of Ohio, which was won by Cleveland, 35 to 30. Other notable games: the Lo- the Los Angeles Rams travel to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. It's Tom Brady versus Teddy Bridgewater in Tampa. Tom Brady's first home game as the Tampa Bay Buccaneer. The Dallas Cowboys are at home opening their opening A T T now A T and T. Sorry, that's a that's a hard thing to say. <laughs> stadium against the Atlanta Falcons. The Green Bay Packers host the Detroit Lions. Buffalo and Miami, as previously mentioned, also as previously mentioned the Arizona Cardinals at home against the Washington football team, and the game that I have my eyes on, the first game in Las Vegas Raiders history in the state of Nevada, Monday night, Raiders versus Saints, and the New Orleans Saints are going to be without Michael Thomas. And I understand Michael Thomas is just one wide receiver, but let's put into context just how oversized his impact in the New Orleans Saints passing game is. Over the last two seasons, Michael Thomas has the, from the number one wide receiver to the number two wide receiver is the largest gap between targets and receptions between the number one wide receiver and number two wide receiver. Last season, he set an NFL record with 149 catches. The next closest wide receiver to him was Ted Ginn with 30. (laughs) The year before that, Michael Thomas, the second Michael Thomas had, I want to say it was 125. Uh, Let me double check on that. I I want to say it was 125. I know there was a... Yes, 125 catches. The next closest wide receiver listed as wide receiver, Traquan Smith with 28. Wow. He is the New Orleans Saints passing game. And, Cody, I am fascinated to see what is New Orleans and the Drew Brees going to look like without Michael Thomas.
1: Well, and, it you know, you really have to give a ton of credit to him because when you look at the numbers that he's put up in terms of he had 92 catches his uh, rookie season in 16, then he went 104, 125, as you mentioned, 149 last year and he caught three balls in the uh, opening game before being injured. 1,100 yards, 1,200 yards, 1,400 yards, 1,700 yards, and then you look at what he's been able to do in that offense with Drew Brees throwing to him uh, nine touchdowns, five, nine, nine. When you look at those numbers, and then you look at Ted Ginn being the next guy behind him, when he catches 100 and almost 150 footballs the next guy behind him is 30 for him to line up you know a lot of times against two guys for the defense trying to take him away and for what he's done since he has come into the league has really really been remarkable I, you know hope uh, w- wish for a speedy recovery for him cuz i do think it's going to be very interesting for the saints and how they will uh, live without Thomas because he has been such a huge, huge part of the offense. Obviously, it's going to take other guys to step up. But as you accurately point out, you know, last year when your next guy catches 30 some odd balls and that is the that is the most behind your number one wideout, uh, you're going to have to have some guys step up big. And that's what the Saints are going to have to have. Drew Brees is the guy to be able to find them. But uh, Saints are in a tough spot because you have, the best wide receiver in football, uh, you know, potentially since he's come into the league uh, and he's not going to be playing. And that is a huge, huge percentage of uh, Drew Brees targets uh, go to big Michael Thomas. So they're going to have to figure something out. It is going to be interesting to watch because Vegas had a really, really nice opener too, in terms of uh, being able to control the line of scrimmage with Brandon Jacobs. Uh, with Josh Jacobs, excuse me, uh, and they won their opening week game against the Panthers. So, you know, going to be fun to watch those two teams because the Saints are going to be doing a little, you know, they're going to have to kind of adjust on the fly, and they're doing so against a team that can control the clock and has some weapons as well with in uh, the Raiders.
0: For clarity on that
1: what, number one
0: wide receiver versus number two wide receiver stat, I was counting that as player whose primary position is wide receiver that did not that does not include Alvin Kamara and Jared Cook I'm talking pure wide receivers. so just some clarity on, on that on those stats the wide receiving core of the New Orleans Saints is newly signed Emmanuel Sanders Traquan Smith Deontay Harris who's been used exclusively as a return guy Benny Fowler who's a career special teamer and Ty Montgomery and then also Taysom Hill that's the receiving core that they have right now without Michael Thomas. Drew Brees has made a career out of throwing to seemingly anonymous wide receivers. Like Marcus Colston was the (laughs) best receiver the new Orleans saints have had arguably before Michael Thomas. And he never made a single pro bowl in his career. He has made a career out of as long as we have drew Brees, we can, we can make it work. But Drew Brees, he's in his forties now, and that deep ball arm is—it's not there. To paraphrase former Boston Celtics head coach Rick Pitino, 2011 Drew Brees isn't putting on that helmet. Like he's—he's <laughs> he's not walking out that door. He can still get it done. It's just he's not—he's just not what he used to be. And I am fascinated to see what does this New Orleans passing game look like with no Michael Thomas, because they've relied so heavily on him since he, since he came into the league?
1: Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, if you just look at the first game Breeze had, 18 of 30, 160 yards, a couple of touchdowns. He was sacked one time, but the big stat there, 5.3 uh, per for Drew Breeze. So that ball is not being pushed down to field, and that's when teams are going to be able to key in on Uh, Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, and company, and try to shut down that run game and make the Saints open it up, which is much, much, much more difficult when you don't have Michael Thomas.
0: Drew Brees finished last season with 7.9 yards per attempt. The year before that, he had 8.2, and then in 2017, he had 8.1. The last time he had a season where yards per attempt dipped below 7.5, you would have to go all the way back to that Super Bowl. You'd have to go all the way back to the year after the Super Bowl season in 2010 when it was at 7.0. Wow. He he is consistently one of the best quarterbacks that we've ever seen. I mean, he has the all-time touchdown record. Whether or not Tom Brady catches him this year is another story because that is still in play but he's 41 years old. He's going to turn, if they make it to the playoffs, he will turn 42 on January 15th. Cody, what is life after Drew Brees going to look like for new Orleans? Cause they all, cause they have Taysom Hill locked up with a huge contract and they also brought in Jameis Winston. If you had a crystal ball, what in your mind does life without Drew Brees look like in the big easy?
1: I would think you're 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 leaning on Taysom Hill uh, because you've got a guy that can do a different uh, a few different things with his arms, uh, with his legs. He, you know, we've seen a lot of that. Can he make the the transition to the full time uh, quarterback duties? We'll have to see. You know, I, I'm not sleeping on Jameis Winston. I think he. You know, this is a big year for him. I think he made a big step in his career in recognizing. You know, hey, I may be able to wait out you know, and and some of these guys might get hurt and I might be able to get a job. But, you know, for me and my career, also, if I go sit behind Drew Brees, I'm going to learn a ton and that's going to help me advance my game also. So, uh, you know, I I would I would think you're looking at Hill, but you've got a battle between those two guys. And I'm I'm not so sure that Winston wouldn't be able to to win that battle if it is, you know, indeed those two guys going for it. You know, Jameis Winston has a ton of talent. I think, you know, he's trying to iron out the, the turnovers and the mistakes, and that's where learning from a guy like Drew Brees, you know, a coach like Sean Payton, those are the guys that you can learn from. Those are the Those are the mentors and, you know, the relationships that I think where Winston's at in his career he's in need of, he made a good move by seeking them out you know, and taking the offer that they had to, to be the backup quarterback or to, you know, to play behind Drew Brees, and I think it's going to pay dividends for Winston and his career. So we'll have to see. Uh, you know, I think the Saints definitely grabbed Winston with the thought that, hey, there's some talent here. There is uh, there are, there's a potential for a lot of touchdown passes in that right arm. Uh, we just have to iron some things out. And, you know, perhaps, you know, a year under Drew Brees and Sean Payton is, is exactly, exactly how we could get that done. The case for Jameis Winston is to look at
0: last year and say, see what being in New Orleans did for Teddy Bridgewater. But the catalyst for that was see what happened for Teddy Bridgewater in New Orleans after Drew Brees got hurt. If Drew Brees is healthy for all sixteen games last year, we certainly don't see Teddy Bridgewater. And if we do, it it's not as much as he played last year for him to parlay that into the Carolina contract. Right. It's. it's I understand the point. That I understand the point that people are making of well, look what it did for Teddy Bridgewater, but it it worked that way because Drew Brees had that arm injury in the L.A. Rams game. Which then prompted Teddy Bridgewater to go five and zero in his absence. The chances of that happening again are, I'm not going to say, completely out, you know, off the table. Because after all, Drew Brees is a 41 year old quarterback, and you know Nixon, you know the average Nixon bruises of an NFL season. I just don't think we're going to get five games out of Jameis to show okay. Yeah. That's why everybody loved this guy when he came out of Tallahassee. That's why he was the number one overall pick.
1: Yeah. I, I agree with that. I don't, you know, you'd obviously hope that that's not the case if you're uh, if you're the saints or you're, you know, a saints fan, but yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I, I, I really like, I really still like the saints team. Uh, you know, Drew Brees, he, j- he just doesn't make a ton of mistakes If Michael Thomas is able to get back healthy, you've got the the dual threat in Alvin Kamara. And then you you add in guys like Latavius Murray, Jared Cook. They still have a ton of weapons. They still have a really good defense. The Saints are a really, really solid team. But, you know, they are another injury, you know, that Breeze suffers away. If Thomas has to miss extended time with the ankle, a lot of people like the Saints coming out of the NFC this year. There are some things that potentially could work against them. Hopefully that Michael Thomas is not out for long because they definitely need that guy if they're going to uh, make the run uh, that many people think they will uh, late into the uh, late into the season. And I'm one of those people
0: that likes New Orleans to come out of the NFC because I have them in the Super Bowl against Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Michael Thomas, it should be noted, has not been placed on IR and new injured reserve rules in place this season and hopefully going forward is if you were placed on IR for the first time, you have to miss at least three games. After that, I believe it's you're done for the year the way IR used to work. Right. Do you like the three game IR short-term rule and do you, and do you hope it sticks
1: around? Yeah, I mean, I'm good with it. I, I don't really... I, I do think it's a, a more feasible option and easier for teams to maneuver in terms of uh, occupying that roster spot. So I, I'm all for it. I think it's, you know, I think it's going to work. And I think that, you know, teams have expressed that to the league. The NFL has seen that, that, hey, you know, there was a need for there's a need for an option here of of a few games versus, you know, you're done for the year. Uh, So some teams have a little more roster flexibility. I I, I think it's good. I think it'll definitely be be here to stay. I hope
0: so, too, because before this, it was you were out for eight games. And teams had to be extremely strategic because if they know that this is only going to be a two to three week injury and we put this guy on IR, then he's going to miss eight games. So they had to be very strategic about how they were going to do it. But with the short-term IR, if he's going to be out for three to four weeks, okay, we'll just put him on short-term IR.
1: Yeah, it just makes a lot more sense. Uh, what games are you looking at at this week two slate that have your interest? Well, the first one is is the uh, – the- Indianapolis Colts and Minnesota Vikings game because I watched as Gardner Minshew uh, beat the Colts in Week One. So as a Colts fan, my eyes, you know, kind of, kind of immediately go to that game and facing a, a tough team in Minnesota. Now, luckily, get to you know op- open the season at home uh, in Indianapolis for that game. So that's one, um, uh, that's one I'm looking at, no doubt about it. But outside of that. Um, I would definitely say that New Orleans Vegas uh, game on Monday night. And I'm actually really intrigued by New England Seattle, uh, New England after you know a week one win, Cam Newton looks looks pretty solid. The Patriots, you know have found a way to you know, maximize Cam Newton and what he does well. Uh, obviously just one game that they were able to win to open the year, but it looks like they know uh, they've developed a system, to utilize what Cam Newton does well in his physical presence. They travel cross country to play uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. I'm intrigued to see if, if Cam can continue to keep that up and how the Patriots continue to use him because I think he has, you know, when healthy, such a unique uh, array of abilities, you know, in the pocket and and as a runner that I'm kind of curious to see how, the Cam Newton in new England season plays out. So I've got my eye on that Sunday night game as well, because I'd like to see how he uh, goes against uh, the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson and company.
0: The Seattle Seahawks let Russell Wilson cook, which if you are on NFL Twitter has been a hashtag among frustrated Seahawks fans. Like we have Russell Wilson. Weren't we throwing the ball more and <laughs> When you have a when you have a guy like DK Metcalf and your quarterback is Russell Wilson I have to say I think their grievances were legit like why didn't this guy throw more before last week he he looked he looked incredible after week 1 against the Atlanta Falcons it was as good a Russell Wilson performance as we've seen since probably early in his career when he was taking teams to back-to-back Super Bowls Russell Wilson, a lot of people kind of, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle when you think about Mahomes and Watson and Brady, but he's right up there with those guys.
1: Oh, there's no question. I mean, his stat line was ridiculous. Wilson, first of all, the Seahawks didn't run the ball well, but he was the leading rusher. He got 29 yards on three attempts. But he was 31 of 35 for 322 and four touchdowns. That's an 88.6% completion percentage. Uh, Metcalf had almost 100 yards. Lockett had almost 100 yards receiving. Carson had a good day catching the ball out of the backfield. He just – Russell Wilson continues to dazzle, continues to impress, uh, continues to, you know, not get as much love for it as I think he should – uh, you know the, the Seahawks added Jamal Adams this year. They have uh, they have you know Diggs in that defensive secondary, Quandre Diggs. I really really like the Seahawks team. And if you're going to get 88, 89 percentage uh, completion percentage out of Russell Wilson, which that's not going to last for the whole year, but we know Russ takes care of the ball, uh, completes it at a high rate, as you know still main maintains his dual threat ability with his legs and with his arm. That Seattle team is, is poised to make a run as well because, you know, you've had Metcalf step up. You've got Tyler Lockett, uh, Carson, who can run it and, and catch it well out of the backfield, which suits that skill set that Russell Wilson has. Seahawks just keep humming along, and they'll look to to do the same against Cam Newton in New England. But, yeah, I mean, I think Wilson still doesn't get as much love as he deserves just because he's been so damn good uh, throughout his career, and he's just done it consistently. And, uh, you know, seems poised to do the exact same thing again this year. Yeah, that New England game is the Sunday
0: night. Is the Sunday night game on NBC. I wonder, since there's going to be no fans in Seattle, is the crowd noise going to be louder for Seattle than it is for everybody else? Because <laughs> when you go into – because that stadium is notorious for being one of the loudest stadiums in the U.S., so I wonder if whoever's in charge of like the crowd sweeping and crowd noise is just going to push the meters all the way to the red for the Seahawks game.
1: They might, they might, uh, they might need to to get that twelfth man, twelfth uh, man feeling because they're not going to be able to have everybody in the uh, everybody in the stands. All right, one last game to look at before we move
0: on to the MLB playoffs, which snuck up on all of us because that's going to start in a little over a week. We're going to get. Watson versus Mahomes uh, on the 3 o'clock, the 4 o'clock slate, depending on where you're watching the games, the late slate of Sunday games. The game is in Houston. The Baltimore Ravens are coming off of that 38-6 to stomping of the Cleveland Browns. They get Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans in Houston. If you were to look at these two teams – and just based on what you saw last week, what is more likely? Houston starts 0 2 or the Ravens start to. Well, I guess the way I phrase that question is like those are the only options available. 0 uh, 2 Houston or 2 0 Baltimore? Which would surprise
1: you more? Surprise me more would be Houston. Uh, grabbing the win and and getting back to 500 just because I think they're still trying to figure it out you know post Hopkins and I think that Baltimore and Lamar Jackson are are humming on all cylinders and so I think Baltimore is able to go into Houston and win that game Houston really has to clean up uh, their defensive performance from week one against the Chiefs. If they can do that, they'll they'll kind of steady the ship. But, uh, you know, life without DeAndre Hopkins, the defense did not play well in week one uh, against Kansas City. I think a Baltimore win is more likely uh, is what I would pick, I should say. But, you know, obviously you can't count out Deshaun Watson, and he can do some pretty impressive things as well.
0: The Houston Texans lost the season opener on that Thursday night game against uh, – the Kansas City. I'm not gonna hold that against them because it's Patrick Mahomes and everybody looks bad against Patrick Mahomes. I outside of maybe the Super Bowl, I think that was the last time Patrick Mahomes looked semi immortal. As he is just he's just carved up everybody really since he really since he got in the league. It's I'm so excited for the future of this league, especially with all of the young quarterbacks that we have. And in that AFC, we're going to have Watson, Mahomes, and Jackson compete against each other every year to get to a Super Bowl. And it is a it is a great time to be a fan of the NFL in twenty
1: twenty. Yeah, no doubt. Quarterback play is, you know, really at an all time high and really at an all time high again, you know, amongst a lot of the young talent that we have, as you pointed out going to be fun to to watch it continue to develop because you know guy named josh allen guy named Kyler murray you know those guys are ready to to break into that conversation as well uh you know with that triumvirate of uh mahomes watson and uh, lamar jackson
0: and we haven't even gotten to the guys that just joined the afc and tua Vailoa and joe burrow and if their and if their progression is on the track that I think people th- believe it's going to be, then, oh boy, that AFC East is going to be murderer's row every single year to get to that Super Bowl.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're going to have to go through, just look at, as we talked about, that line of, of guys and teams that you'll have to get through. Uh, yeah, that's going to be really, really tough.
0: It's It's definitely something to keep an eye on, especially as the progression of those young quarterbacks gets in. And if you throw Trevor Lawrence in the AFC, I mean, it start. It would. It would look like the East versus West in the NBA, where the NFC is like, "Hey, can we get one of these guys?" I mean, we've, <laughs> we've got Kyler Murray, and that's pretty much it. Uh, we'll start with, and we'll, we'll close. Excuse me, with Major League Baseball, Cody. This season, since it was a sixty-game season, it hasn't felt like a. It hasn't felt like it from the jump from COVID tests to mass postponements to just a weird flavor of a baseball season. But the playoffs are a week away, and as it stands right now, four teams have currently clinched playoff berths. They expanded the field to 16. The four teams that have clinched spots are the White Sox, Rays, Dodgers, and Oakland A's. In the NL, the most likely teams to get in after that are the Padres Cubs and Braves and then in the AL the Twins their magic number is 1, the Yankees magic number is 2, the Indians are at 4 and the Astros and Blue Jays have a magic number each of 6 what has been your biggest takeaway and the one thing that has kind of stuck with you through 60 game abbreviated major league season
1: uh, I'm gonna say the Chicago White Sox, uh, 34 and 18, first in the Central. Tim Anderson has been absolutely smoking the baseball, hitting 366 this year. Uh, Jose Abreu continues to do what he do- does. He provides the 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 home run pop. Uh, he's got 18 of them. He's also driven in more than 50 runs, and he's also, as I mentioned, hitting 330. So. <laughs> you know, Abreu continues to mash, but you know, they've had the young guys come along and the young guys have delivered, you know, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, uh, they have yom Moncada who they traded for, uh, you know, a couple of years ago from the Red Sox, who's had a good season, you know, those guys, the young talent that they have has really needed to perform for them. And it has, when you look at those, uh, when you look at those players that they have, you know, in the that they put into the everyday lineup and then you look at a guy like you know Dallas Keuchel who they signed who's 6 and 2 uh who has a 2.04 earned run average and he's logged almost 60 innings in this you know abbreviated uh, abbreviated season you know they have really really done well they have thrown the ball well uh with uh, Giolito with Dallas Keuchel they're hitting the ball well i'm really really impressed with the young guys that the White Sox have and how they've been able to put it all together this year. That is definitely, uh, for me, the biggest story. And then, you know, I think what the Padres have been able to do and the Padres going all in uh, with some of the deadline deals they made with the way that Tatis Jr. uh, has played for San Diego. Uh, They have been a lot of fun to watch. That lineup has a ton of pop as well. They're second in the West right now to the Dodgers, but 33 and 19. Machado playing well, Tatis Jr. leading the charge, uh, leading the the leading them in the swag category. Both of those teams have been really really fun to watch. My biggest
0: takeaway has been how fun the San Diego Padres have been, like how you alluded to. First, they went back to like the pinstriped like Tony Gwynn era uniforms, which I am here for. And yeah, great, great Jersey. And that trade deadline where they essentially traded for pretty much the entire league. Uh, they traded for Mike Clevenger. they got Austin Nola. Uh, they brought in Austin Hedges, Mitch you know, Mitch Moreland. When I when you think of teams going all in, you think of we're going to give up the top of our farm system to take one shot at one year. The Padres didn't do that in the six trades that they made toward the deadline. They only let go of one prospect ranked in the MLB top 100. And that's Taylor Trammell, the outfielder. I mean, it's, there was a, there's a line between going all in and mortg- and mortgaging your future. And somehow, some way the Padres were able to bolster that roster and make a flurry of trades without in in the baseball sense, I mean, I suppose I could say semi-literally not giving up the farm to do it. And when you have those young players, plus Manny Machado on a contract in this abbreviated season, I feel like San Diego looked around and said, we're going for it. And I love it when teams do that because so many teams in baseball are just happy to just now just put a team out there. If you win, great. If not, oh, well. And Watching a team go for it, like San Diego, a team that has never really had the success that they've had. They made a couple World Series, you know, in the mid-80s and late-90s, but in terms of overall team success, I love it that they're going for it. Love it, love it, love it.
1: Oh, no doubt. And you look at the last outing that Clevenger had uh, was on uh, this past Sunday, and he went the uh, full seven innings. On the uh, doubleheader, and he went uh, seven innings of two run of two hit baseball. Excuse me, did not allow a run and struck out seven. So you add that type of guy to the rotation. Zach Davies has pitched really well for San Diego. Uh, Chris Paddock, a young guy, has logged almost sixty innings. So they have definitely uh, they've definitely seemed to have figured it out. Uh, they've they've got you know that roster uh, in terms of. Tatis Jr. in terms of, you know, and then leading the way with the pitching staff with Clevenger and Davies, uh, with Manny Machado as well. Everything is working well for San Diego to this point. They've went and made some additions that are going to continue to bolster that. Really looking forward to see how they perform in the postseason because, as you talked about, they set themselves up for this year and a run in this postseason, but they didn't mortgage the chance to turn around and spin around and do that again when the season cranks up to a full 162 uh hopefully next year they didn't do that either and so they they've played it well and we'll see how it pans out for them
0: the san diego padres have the second best run differential in major league baseball at plus 84 the only team ahead of them is the la dodgers at plus 122 uh and I found this stat slightly amusing. Do you want to guess what the Washington Nationals record is right now?
1: Uh Let's see. Uh I think they've won like 15 16 games something like that. I don't know. They're 19 and
0: 31. 19 and 31.
1: Remember is that how? the record they had last yes, year before they started? Yes, spun it, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> oh man.
0: This year, they're not going to have time to do that. <laughs> no. Uh, look, if the playoffs started right now, here's who you would have in the American League. One versus eight would be an AL East matchup between the Tampa Bay Rays and the Toronto, but not really Toronto this year, Blue Jays. The two and seven would be White Sox and Indians, and then A's Astros at 3-6, Yankees Twins at 4-5. In the National League, one to eight is Dodgers and Reds, 2-7 is, is Cubs Phillies Braves Cardinals in the 3-6 and the 4-5 is the Padres and Marlins and the Marlins it should be noted have only made the playoffs twice in franchise history and both times they won the World Series in 1997 and 2003 so wow watch out San Diego
1: <laughs> Yeah absolutely that's uh those are interesting for the, for the Marlins and you know, the Marlins have done a nice job they hung on they got out the got out to a blistering start and they've They've got themselves in the playoff picture, but yeah, you look at the way the Dodgers have played with Mookie Betts, and you have San Diego, and you know Cincinnati has been a really, really fun team to watch. You know they're 26 and 27 on the year, but they have the potential to to beat anybody. So there's going to be some really, really fun matchups, uh, especially when you look at that American League: the Rays, the White Sox, the A's. The way they've played, the way the Yankees can hit the ball. The Twins continue to play well. Continue to do what they do. Uh, they're in currently that fifth spot right now in the uh, American League. Lot of lot of fun postseason baseball matchups coming, and we're gonna get more of them because of the expanded playoff, which I'm which I'm all in favor of.
0: If the standings hold the way they are and the seating stays where it is, in the second round you're going to get Dodgers, Padres in the National League in the second That's round a shame.
1: Cause both of those teams could win the world series.
0: And I love that the Miami Marlins are in this, especially when Derek Jeter and that ownership group came over and they traded away Mike Stanton and all of the South Florida fans are, Oh, here we go again. New guy comes in guts, the team like always. And here they are 27 and 24 and currently sitting with a, Eighty two point four percent chance to make the postseason.
1: Yeah, they've done well. They're second in the NL East. I've taken a couple of games from the Nationals. Uh they'll try to close out that series. But yeah, it's it's uh, you know, they've they've played well. As I mentioned, you know, we talked about them early in the year. They got out to a quick start, then they had to deal with a lot of the COVID nineteen stuff. They had a bunch of games postponed and then tried to, you know, had to kind of get back into a rhythm they went through a really really tough stretch where they lost eight out of ten in uh early august but since then they've you know they've been able to kind of right that ship and and hover around that 500 mark and that's been that's been good enough that they're going to be able to or or i i guess i should say should be able to sneak themselves in and set themselves up for the postseason
0: the mlb postseason starts in a little over a week which man this is going to be a loaded October uh, it is
1: you're going to have NBA going on you'll have the NFL in full swing You've got Major League Baseball you know for all of the for all of the you know weirdness and schedule juggling that the pandemic has caused it is delivering some, some really really solid sports and sports months here as these seasons overlap and when you think of
0: October, you think of okay, well, what's going on then? Uh, postseason baseball, NFL football, and that's about it. But now we've got a little bit of everything. Like even the Stanley Cup Finals are going on right now between Dallas and Tampa Bay,
1: which Dallas yeah, got the got the NHL, and you know, got the the PGA Tour is doing its thing and. Got the NFL in full swing now. Major League Baseball gearing up for the playoffs, and they've expanded it, so some more exciting matchups for Major League Baseball. Uh, NBA, you know, they're gonna they've got the East and West Finals, and, and they'll crank up to the finals. You know, occupying a, a time slot with postseason basketball that the NBA has never had before, the way their season goes. Yeah, man, it's been uh, it's been fun to watch. There's so much to watch, and uh, it's only it's only gonna get more. Or it's only going to get better because there's going to be more of it, uh, more high stakes games in the postseason, particularly when it comes to uh, that baseball playoff scene. And I'm, I'm, tell you what, I'm here for it.
0: I think we are in the extreme majority there of people who are here for it. I don't think there is a lot of people that are upset with all the sports that are going on in October. I, I, I sure as heck wouldn't be. I, I, and am not. And I am not either. I am firmly in the, Yes. More of this, please. This is great. Uh, I am firmly in that camp. I'm not running that camp, but (laughs) I'm I'm not, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. I I think that's a good place for us. This has been a, this has been a busy week, a good week. And if this week is any indication, then the next few months coming up are
1: going to be great. (laughs) I'm i I'm all for it. You're going to get some really, really exciting baseball matchups really looking forward to this expanded postseason uh, in the shortened season, that's going to be a ton of fun. Um, you know, you're going to have the big 10 starting back up, you know, pushing toward the end of October college football, being full swing. You'll get the NBA finals, man. This is a, a, a great, great time and there is going to be some fun sports to watch. That is for sure. And as long as Halloween
0: is still a thing and we can still enjoy it, then that will, that will cap everything off.
1: That'll make it that much better.
0: If you want to check out this episode and other ones, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. If there, is a po- if there is a podcast platform, we are on it. For Cody Clark, I'm Evan Aishin saying so long, and we'll see you next time.